Please pray with me. Lord, thank you once again for your scriptures. I thank you especially for this account of the transfiguration. Lord, help me to preach it well. And I pray for each one of us that you would stir up a strong desire to seek you and follow after you. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So in college, in the year between my sophomore year and my junior year, in the summer, a couple of roommates of mine and I jumped in a car and drove from the University of Pittsburgh through the night to the Smoky Mountain National Park, um, a long drive, to do some backpacking. We loaded up our backpacks, we were really into that. We hiked up to the trailhead and then, and then started the climb up to Klingman's Dome, which is the name of the peak that's the highest peak in the Smoky Mountains, somewhere around 6,000 feet if I remember right. And they call them the Smoky Mountains for a reason. There is a heavy fog that is usually just sitting on those mountains, so it's like walking through soup all the time. Occasionally, it will clear and you'll get a glimpse from the mountaintop and get to see all sorts of things. But in and out throughout the time we were hiking, we were just in a cloud. And it was a very steep climb. And I didn't necessarily go up there seeking the Lord. I just went with some college buddies to have an adventure. But I had a profound experience of God's presence. And he gave me really laser-focused clarity on something that was very important. I came down from that mountain sure that I needed to pursue and marry Heather. The trick was we weren't actually dating in that moment, so I had some work to do when I got home. But it was on that mountaintop that I got clarity. And mountaintop experiences are even a category of types of encounters. I mean, whether it's a a literal mountaintop or just a figurative one, mountaintop experiences are helpful because they give us perspective. They help us get a new perspective on a situation. And we all, from time to time, need the clarity and the affirmation, in particular, in two categories. One, in our identity, who we are, and our calling. What are we supposed to do? And so this morning, I ask you this question. Who are you? It's an identity question. Who are you? And then, why do you exist? What is it that you're supposed to do out of who you are? What are you called to do? It's so easy to get confused on either or both of those. So we need regular reminders of who we are and what our particular assignment is in this moment, in the season we're in. There are reasons that we get confused about these things. One of the big ones is that there are so many sources telling us who we are and telling us what we should be about. I remember seeing an advertisement in a magazine one time I think it was a magazine. I can't even remember what they're advertising, but there was a, it was on a plane. It was a a man, I don't know, 30-something man with a boy that was maybe eight. And he, he had a storybook open, and they were on the plane, and he was interacting with his son, and he had a nice pair of khaki pants on and a button-down shirt, but he had these um, Vans skater shoes on and no socks. And the ad was focused in on a tattoo on his ankle of the Burning Man Festival, which is that kind of wild art and somewhat pagan festival out uh, in the desert in the West. And the ad caption said, you know who you are. And it was appealing back to some experience he had of wildness and revelry. And this whole like being a dad thing is just temporary. Your true identity is this other thing. It's that kind of suggestive marketing, that kind of um, 
those, those messages mess with us. They, they confuse us. People will speak to you, and they'll, they'll speak words of identity into your life, and they may or may not be true or good ones. And so it's easy for us to get confused, to lack clarity on who I am, who, who really am I. And then the other thing is the calling. What am I supposed to be doing? Callings change throughout the seasons of your life, and you've got to pay attention to the one who calls. Because if you're going over here where you've been faithfully serving and doing whatever for a long time, but God's grace for you is moving over here and you miss it, you can find yourself working over here and lacking in fruitfulness because God's saying, hey, I've got a new assignment for you in this season. I was thinking about just in a military town like this, we all know people who've had long Navy careers. And if you think of a 20 or more year career in the Navy, there are specific assignments. There are promotions. There are new deployments, new things. That's part of the process. And it's not all that different in following the Lord. He has a calling on your life in this season. And then sometimes he changes that and says, I want you to go over here now. Or in this next season, your new ministry assignment is going to be this. And I'm not just talking for pastors. I'm talking for all followers of Jesus. So who are you, and why do you exist? What are you called to do? Now, today is the last Sunday before we start into the season of Lent, and it's a great time for us to get clarity on these things. It's a natural time to seek God for clarity. And I'm going to focus in on the transfiguration story and make the point that God gives clarity on the mountain. Whether it's a literal or a figurative one, a mountaintop experience is about seeking God and having him reaffirm your identity and your calling. We're in this series, we're finishing up the series today on light shining in darkness, which is what Epiphany is about. And we're actually getting a literal picture of brightness shining through our Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. His followers, Peter, James, and John, got to see a glimpse of his heavenly glory and the heavenly glory of Moses and Elijah, who had already gone from this earth back up into heaven. I have a hundred questions about all that, and more, that it doesn't answer. But they got a glimpse of something, and Jesus even said, don't, don't say anything about this until after the Son of Man has died and risen, which confuses them further. But let's dig into this story here. One of the things that it did for Peter in particular is it gave him clarity on his calling as a witness. And when he writes his second epistle, Second Peter, which, is, which was the first reading we had today, he says, we received honor, went, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, what was so helpful about that mountaintop experience for Peter and the others is when it got hard in ministry and it got really hard to be a witness, they remembered that. They saw something about Jesus' identity that then empowered them, emboldened them to give witness even all the way until death. And in 2 Peter, in the chapter right before that, he says, I already know my time is coming. Jesus has made it known to me that I will be putting off this body He's referring to his physical death. And so he was clear through his whole ministry that he's called to be a witness for Jesus. That was, that was what his calling was. And having seen the glory of Christ on that mountaintop, 
gave him what he needed to remain steadfast throughout the years. The Bible truncates it because we're reading paragraph after paragraph, but there are decades of time involved from when Jesus' resurrection happened to when Peter died and to when the New Testament was written. And years go by, and it's so easy to forget what you're supposed to be about. And so this really helped him. It also gave an affirmation to, to Jesus as well. This is the second time the Father speaks words that Jesus is the Son and that he's beloved. And if I jump back to Mark chapter 1, we hear this in Mark 1, 9. In those days, meaning the days of John the Baptist, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased." Note what happens right after that. The Holy Spirit pushes, it drives is literally the word, drives Jesus. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days. This is a natural reason also why this Sunday we we are focused on the transfiguration because we're going into 40 days of Lent. But the word gives an encouragement. You are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And then he's tested. And he's tested about his identity. Satan says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son, three times, if you are the son of God. And the father had just reaffirmed Jesus, and then the hard thing happened. And the same is about to happen on this mountaintop. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's bookended by hard things. Jesus had just said, the son of man is going to be handed over to the authorities. He will be crucified, die, and on the third day rise. And Peter just couldn't deal with that. So he said, never, Lord, I won't let that happen. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter's love for Jesus was actually a hindrance to him being obedient to what the Father had called him to do. And so he says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you, you, you can't be part of this. And then they go up on the mountain, that's you know, talking about death and the cross, and then mountaintop glory, and then back down into the valley. And you know what happens down there? The rest of the disciples are in a fight with a demon that's in a, in a boy, and the father's desperate because they can't cast this demon out, and Jesus has to do it. And they go right down into the hard aspects of ministry. You see, mountaintop experiences aren't the kind of thing that we can just hang on to forever. We have to come back down into the valley. So let me give you the setting of what is happening. Caesarea Philippi is a city way up in the north. There's also a Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast further down by Tel Aviv, but this is way up to the north. It's, it's in what it's, is today called the Golan Heights, and um, Jesus had been hanging around the Sea of Galilee, and he took those guys all the way up to the north. It literally is the furthest point in Palestine before you get into Syria. And we don't know which mountain he went up on. We speculate that it was Mount Hermon, or as they say in Hebrew, Hermon. That it's, it's like a 9,000-foot peak up there. But there are a bunch of peaks around that area. But Caesarea Philippi is way up there. It's like Jesus went the furthest away from Jerusalem he was going to go. And then he says, who do people say that I am? And when Peter confesses that he's the Christ, he says, don't tell anyone about this. He speaks a word of identity over Peter. He says, and you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Peter gets a word up there about his own identity, his calling. 
Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You've got work to do. And you are Peter, which means you're a rock. You are steadfast. You're solid. And they go up on the mountain, and then the word comes again from the Father. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This time it's aimed a little bit more at the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and um, they're being encouraged. So Jesus' clothing begins to shine really brightly, like a majesty you can't see on earth. It's a picture of what things are like in glory. And he starts in heaven. He starts to do this. And then Moses and Elijah show up and are talking to him. And Matthew says they're talking to him about his exodus. You see, Jesus' exodus was the cross. And it's a reference back to Moses leading people out of bondage in Egypt. He's about to lead us out of bondage in sin on the cross. And he's being encouraged. He's being ministered to on the mountaintop about his calling. He was, he was being served by Moses and Elijah. And, you know, when Peter sees this, this is a great thing. Here's the glory of heaven. Here's Moses and Elijah. Lord, let me build three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then the writers say, because he didn't know what he was saying. He was terrified. And when Peter gets nervous, he starts talking. He does impulsive actions. It's not a great habit, but, you know, it's what he does. And then they're gone. Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Jesus and them again. Peter wants to build tents to stay up on the mountaintop and not go back down into the valley and not go into all that other stuff. But, you know, mountaintops are not forever. They're to prepare us and equip us to go back down into the valley. Imagine for a minute the experience of the cloud coming toward you. It says, as they were talking, a cloud overshadowed them. It's one thing to drive into a fog. It's another to have it coming at you like it's going to envelop you. It's a terrifying experience, really. But it's also very focusing because it distracts, it, it takes all the other distractions out of your sight. This last week, I don't know if you remember, Wednesday morning was incredibly foggy. And before dawn, I drove over the Buckman Bridge and it was eerie being on that bridge because all I could see was two cars in front of me and I almost couldn't even see the water of the river. But you know what? I was focused on just right here. All the other distractions were peeled away. And this cloud comes and envelops them and terrifies them. And then a voice comes. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The second time that, that revelation of the identity of Jesus comes to them. It's a powerful experience. And it's aimed at the disciples to encourage them. You see, mountaintops are for identity and for calling. Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on you, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So I go back to your calling and your identity. Who are you? The scriptures tell us a lot about who we are. We are in Christ, sons and daughters. We are adopted. We are heirs. Pay attention even to the liturgy every Sunday through the prayer book. It speaks of our participation, members of the body of Christ. We belong at his table. All these things about our identity. And then the calling piece requires us to keep going back to the Lord and ask him, Lord, what assignment do you have for me now? Is it still this same one? I want you to meet God on the mountain. And whether it's literal or figurative, I want you to build into your life the habit of going away to hear what God has to say about who you are and what you're called to do. 
A couple weeks ago, I literally went up into Colorado with two other priests that are part of this Anglican Leadership Initiative ministry that I've been doing for, I guess, eight or nine years now. In COVID, it messed up our, our routine, and we said, well, let's, let's take this time and let's go up there and let's seek God and ask him, is he ending this ministry? Is he redirecting it? Do we need to change some things? Let's spend some time listening to the Lord. And we had morning and evening prayer and a ton of conversation for several days. That was literally on a mountain. And figuratively, on January 6th, I went on a mountain, and then I went across the river to the Marywood Retreat Center, the Catholic Retreat Center there, and I, I got a room for a night, and I spent 24 hours just with my journal and my Bible in the Lord. I walked out onto the dock, I looked at the water, I wrote in my journal, I prayed, I read scripture, I listened to the Lord, I asked him about uh, vision, where we're going as a church, what do we need to be focusing on. It was a figurative mountaintop experience of meeting with the Lord. And it's natural for us right now, as we're heading into Lent, to seek the Lord. It's 40 days of intentional practices to draw near to Him and let Him reaffirm your identity, that you are loved, that you are a son or daughter, that Jesus has died for you, that your, that your shame and guilt has been taken away, that you belong and you're an eternal member of the body of Christ. And then the question of, Lord, what should I do? What is the calling you have for me? Lent is made for listening. And I want to encourage you to seek God in this coming season for your identity and for your calling. Now, we're going to sing a sermon response song today. Um, It's well known. Turn your eyes upon Jesus so that we can focus on the right thing. And I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll join in singing that song. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm grateful for the transfiguration. I'm grateful for this glimpse of your heavenly glory. I'm thankful also for the call to follow you. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that as we transition into the season of Lent, that you would give us those mountaintop experiences. Uh, Maybe for some of us, Lord, you're going to ask us to go on a journey somewhere, to make a physical trip somewhere, or to just change our routine in some way so that we can get clarity from you. I thank you, Lord, that you speak You speak to your people. You guide us. Teach us, Lord, to hear your voice. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand now first.